Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. I'm excited to be able to bring the message today, summer reading. Uh, this is week two of our series. This is a great series that we've done for several years uh, where we bring uh, or we come up with these books that we think you all should read. And this year is a kind of an interesting one. It's a little bit different because we are using Christian classics, books that have been foundational to the Christian faith over the years. And we're excited to be able to do that and to just to kind of present these before you, but also just use these as a springboard to talk about uh, spiritual truth, kind of like we did with At the Movies, but maybe even more so with these books because these books are great. You would want to read them. And uh, we get the, I get the privilege uh, today to be able to use the book as our springboard, springboard called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, this is a book I read my first semester of seminary. I read the first chapter like four times in a row because I did not understand a word of what he was talking about. It is deep. It is not light reading. Uh, it, but let me tell you, it is good. Like for you to take maybe the next step in your faith journey, this is a book I would highly recommend because it will take you deeper into not only your faith in doctrinal and theological truths, but like they are presented in a great and amazing way for you to be able to uh, understand and be able to apply to your life. And so that's what I want us to be able to talk about uh, today. I want to read to you uh, just a quick review uh, from this book because I think it really just depicts what's going on in this book for each one of us uh, right here in 2022. Uh, a lifelong pursuit of knowing God should embody the Christian's existence. According to renowned theologian J.I. Packer, however, Christians have become enchanted by modern skepticism and have joined the gigantic conspiracy of misdirection by failing to put first things first. Knowing God aims to redirect our attention to the simple, deep truth that to know God is to love his word. What began as a number of consecutive articles written for, quote, honest, no-nonsense readers who were fed up with simplistic Christian verbiage in 1973. Knowing God has become a contemporary classic by creating small studies out of great subjects. Each chapter is so specific and focused, covering topics such as the Trinity and election, uh, God's wrath, God's sovereignty, and so on, that each following chapter's theology seems to rival the next, until one's mind is so expanded that one's entire view of God has changed. Now, author Elizabeth Elliot writes that amid the lofty content that Packer puts it, put the, excuse me, let me rephrase that, that amid the lofty content, J.I. Packer puts the hay where the sheep can reach it. I'm from the city, I have no clue what that means. But she goes on to say, and plainly shows us ordinary folks what it means to know God. I know that part, I understand that part. So, uh, but having rescued us from the individual ideas of our ultra-tolerant theological age, J.I. Packer points the reader to the true character of God with his theological competence and his compassionate heart. The lazy and faint-hearted should be warned about this timeless work. God is magnified, the sinner is humbled, and the saint is encouraged. This is a great book. Again, <clears throat> I read this in my first semester of seminary. Uh, even if you are not a pastor or a seminary student or have no ambitions of doing that, I would still highly recommend it just as a Christ follower because I think it's that good and it's that important for us. Uh, but this book really, it rocked me. Uh, the theological truths, the depths of the study, the, and yet the, the simple understanding of why these topics are important to me and how I need to weave them into my own biblical theology is so that I can be the best Christ follower that I can be. 
And so I would recommend this book to each and every one of you who wants to know God better, who wants to take their faith to another level. This is a great book. I would recommend reading it, however, like you could read a chapter and then a month later read the second chapter and then a month later read the next chapter. Like it's a lot. It is meaty. It is a lot to chew on. And so uh, I would, again, would recommend it, but take your time. Take your time and dive into this book called Knowing God. Uh, I want to use this passage of scripture right here in your notes that's in your outline to really just to set us out and to get us started. It's John 17, 3. So if you do have your Bible, if you've got the outline, it's going to be on the screen. If you've got the, uh, the app pulled up, let's check out this verse because this is really going to set our direction for where we are going to go uh, today. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you look at this words, these words right here, this is this verse. When he says, this is eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? That they know you. Know who? The only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is what it means to have eternal life. This is what it means to have a life that is connected to God through his son, Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about, how we can know God. Now, this book, as well as with our message today, kind of on the front side of your outline, uh, these first five points, we're going to do like a, let's say like a 20,000 feet you know, like look or overview of theology. Like it's, it's, it's deep stuff. We don't have time to, to hit on each and every one of these five things that are listed here. In fact, I was thinking each of these five things could probably be made into their own like six-week series. Like, so we are gonna just like hit the highlights and then at the end, we are gonna see how this applies to us uh, today. And so my encouragement is that you would take these first five steps, these first five truths, and that you would be able to dive deeper into these uh, on your own time. And maybe even just check out the chapters in the book, uh, Knowing God. So five basic truths that we should know of God. Number one, God has spoken to humanity through his word. He's spoken to us, humanity, through his word, through the Bible. And he has spoken to us. He has given us this. This is, uh, this is his words. This is his, his revelation uh, to us. It is factual. It is trustworthy. If you know anything about uh, historical texts and, and context and, and writings, there are seven different tests that historians throw at things, at books, writings specifically, to determine how factual they are. Seven different tests. The Bible passes all seven of those. What does that mean for you? That means it's factual. That means it's trustworthy. It's reliable. It's something that you can really lean into and read and know that this is truth. Because from what we know besides the, these truths, or excuse me, these tests that were thrown at this, is that this is the word of God that is spoken to us not only 2,000 years ago, but right now here in 2022, that we can take it to heart knowing God is speaking to us. And it's given to us to make us wise into our salvation, but also into God's redemptive story that plays out from Genesis to Revelation and to be able to have this wisdom and to be able to, to, you know, to take it in and to be able to use it and to apply it to our life. Now, what we can also know about the Bible is that the Bible is not meant to be confusing. You know, the, the world is really trying to confuse us, isn't it? The world right here in 2022, we look and we see that, man, the world's just so confusing that like what I'm supposed to do one day, I'm not supposed to do today and then maybe not the next day and like it changes and like there's these debates and discussions on what truth is and like the, the culture and, you know, media and, and news and, and, and all these different things. Like, man, they're really trying to just to mess with us and to say things that are, you know, confusing and, and it messes with who we are. Well, what the Bible, what we can know is that it's not meant to be confusing. But also to know this, that in 2022, it's like, man, this world today, right here, gosh, it's, it's just so uh, much more confusing, and we're, we're so much worse off than we used to be, and we start looking at those things. Do you realize that the world has been confusing for a long, long time? 
I even think back to years and decades ago in my own life and how confusing things are with like news and media, uh, movies and music and stuff like that. One of my favorite songs of all time, 1990, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Very confusing, right? It, it starts off with, uh, yo, VIP, let's kick it. So it's like, hey, you're an important person. We should get together. We should hang out. But then the very next line says what? All right, stop. Well, so are we getting together or are we not getting together? Are we, are we hanging out or are we not hanging out? Am I an important person? We don't know. There's all these confusing things, not only in music, but not only just in this world that we face. Like there's so much confusion about, hey, today this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. And then today, well, forget that. We really actually need to do this and live this way and do this. And then, well, the next day, no, you really got to do it this way and live this way. What we see in Scripture is that God says this is the way. It's the way. This is the way that we are to live our life and to glorify him in the things that we do and the things that we are, but we have to read his word to know it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Did you catch that first part of that? All scripture, every single bit of scripture is breathed out by God. It's not just the parts that will get you into heaven that are correct and truthful. It's the, it's the parts that, yes, get you into heaven, but it's also the parts that mean that you need to change something in your life. That's the parts we usually struggle with, isn't it? That's the parts we usually do, kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. I'm gonna believe in the Bible, the part that gets me into heaven, but I don't necessarily wanna believe in the parts of the Bible that mean I've gotta change what I'm doing and how I'm living my life. But scripture says, all, all of it, breathed out by God and profitable, meaning that it is good for us, that we, we gain something for it, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, it's the true word of God, the true word of God that is for right and redemptive living. That's what the Bible is. That's, that's given to us for right and redemptive living so that we can live like Jesus, so that we can live our life in a way that not only glorifies God, but that reflects and imitates who his son Jesus is. But we have to understand that God has spoken to us through his word. Therefore, we need to spend time in it and we need to dive into it. Number two, God is Lord and King over his creation. Our God is the Lord and King over creation. He has created all things and he rules all things for his own glory. He displays perfection in all that he does so that we may worship him. You see, creation is a product. It is a reflection of its creator. We have this creator God who has created all these things. He is creation. But the problem is so many people in this world, and some of us included, we, not only, we don't worship the creator, we worship the creation. We get so focused in on the things and the stuff and the people and the, of this world, and we get consumed by those that we think, man, creation, and like, look how awesome and how amazing this is and how great that person is, that we forget to give glory to the one that created all of those things. We worship people. We worship stuff. We have these, these plans and these ideas of like, you know, save the trees, save the whales, save the oceans, save the pandas. Save, well, I can get behind and save the pandas. I like pandas, all right? Pandas are pretty cool. Like, I, I can get behind some of that. But the problem is we put this energy and time and effort and money into these things without putting our same energy, time, or effort, or let's say even more so, into who God is to us. And we need to understand it. We need to have a shift and a change in our life. What if we put the same energy, the same effort, and the same love into a relationship with God that we put into the, thing, the love that we have for the things of this world? What if we were so consumed with God and who he is that everything else actually did fall short as it should? Because God is far greater, far better, and far bigger than anything this world has to offer. You see, God must be the Lord of our life and the king of our heart, soul, mind, and body. So what does this mean? 
It means that we need to consider him in everything that we do and everything that we see. You've seen a lot of things in your life, the ocean, you've seen mountains, you've seen uh, you know, a little child, a little baby, and you're just like, man, how cool and how beautiful and how precious is this baby or is this mountain range or is this ocean or whatever it may be, when we should be giving glory and should be giving worship to the one that created it. You think about, uh, you know, tonight, we're going to the, the River Dogs game, and, I, and I've been to several River Dogs games, and here's one of the things I know, that about, uh, for our timing, about the last couple innings, if you would make your way out of your seat to the first base side, out, outside of the field, like where you can't see the field, just behind the, the seats uh, towards those last couple innings, uh, and do this before it gets dark, do this before you've had too many Pepsis, uh, and, and go out there, step out there, and look across the marsh, and you will see that the sun will be setting, there will be clouds, it is beautiful, it's amazing, because God, who is an amazing artist, has created it. It's not just like, wow, really cool how the sun did, no, God created the sun, he created the clouds, he created the earth and the way that the re- it revolves and all these things to where we get to see that amazing picture. We need to understand that it's the creator that needs the one that is the one that needs the worship, not the creation. But also this, number three, God is our loving savior through his son, Jesus. See, Jesus rescues people from guilt, shame, power of sin. He adopts us as his children and he will bless them. He wants to bless us. He wants to work with us and work alongside us. He wants to to give us and provide for us. And I think it's important for us to know that Jesus, just to make this perfectly clear, it was as real as you and me standing here today, that he walked this earth that there is so much evidence for the existence of Jesus, his movement and his life and the things that he has done, that it's there. If you look at John 3, 16, uh, it says, obviously this is one of the most, maybe the most famous passage of scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. He loves each and every one of us, all of us, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever, Whoever, anyone, anybody who believes in him would not perish eternally, but would have eternal life. We will all perish physically, but he is providing a way for us to have eternal life in his kingdom with him. That's what we get to experience because of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we not only have a loving Savior, but we also have this living Savior who provides a living hope. When you have a relationship with Christ, you have a living hope that you are living your life with hope of what is to come, not just here on this earth, but for the eternity that you get to spend with him because you have a relationship with Christ. Number four is this. God is three persons in one called the Trinity. Now, this is probably the most difficult one of all of these to understand, and I'm gonna do this justice in about two minutes as, I can, as much as I can because it's really difficult to understand. But within the Godhead, within God, there are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, The Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. But all three meet together in the middle called God. They all three come together. They all three work together. They are one unit called this this one triune God, this one God that is made up of the Trinity, And we can see this in Scripture in many ways. A couple of the highlight moments I want to just give. In Genesis 1, when when creation is is being created, when everything is being created, and God says, let us make man in our own image. Let us. Like, not just, it's not just one individual. It's not just one being. This is God who is made up of three persons saying, let us. But then also in John 1, 1, where we see the word was God, the word is God, the word was with God in the beginning. The word is Jesus. 
So Jesus didn't just come on the scene in the New Testament. Jesus was on the scene at the beginning, right? He was there when, when the earth was created. He is a part of this. He, he is a part of everything that's going on. He knows it. In Matthew 3, we see when Jesus is baptized that all three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come together at one moment, one point. Because when Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water, that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, it says in Scripture. And then the Father speaks out, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. All three parts come together and they work together. There is no great illustration for, uh, for the Trinity. The best I ever come up with, and it still falls short, is, is H2O. Like, it is water, is liquid, it, it, it is solid, ice, and it is gas, it is a vapor. But even with that, it's not all three at the same time. God is so, it just, it just the mysterious uh, characteristic of who God is in this is, is so mind-blowing. And there's a whole chapter in this book that I would definitely recommend that you dive into. It probably messed you up a little bit more on, on the concept. But like it, it would help you get to thinking about it. And you'll be waking up at like 3 and be like, so if God is Father, answer that. Like it'll mess with you a little bit. But it's good. I would recommend it. The work of salvation, here's what you need to know about this. The work of salvation is one in which all three of these act together. They all three work together. The Father purposes redemption, meaning he, he plans it, he's designed, he's orchestrating it. The Son secures that redemption by what he does on the cross. We obtain it, right? We, we acquire it. But then the Holy Spirit is the one that applies the redemption to us. He, the Holy Spirit is the one that indwells inside of us when we have a relationship with Christ. And he implements uh, this redemption. He, he utilizes it with us and in who we are. All three parts play a role in our salvation and in our sanctification. They're all three important. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which leads me to number five. Godliness is responding to God's revelation. Godliness is responding to God's revelation. See, this is done through trust and obedience, it's done through faith and, and worship, uh, through prayer and praise, uh, through you know, service and, uh, and submission. Like, God reveals himself to us through his word, and our godliness, uh, uh, us looking like Christ, is dependent on how we respond to the revelation of God. When we read the Bible, does it mess us up? Does it make us change? Does it make us something new and something different? Does it change and cut out the sinful ways and begin to replace those with his righteous and holy ways? Because that's what it should be doing if we are spending time in the word. See, life must be seen and lived out in light of God's word. And this and nothing else is the true religion. This is true faith, is to, to live in, in light of God's word, to see it and to, to savor it. You see, I, I, I want to I know God more intimately through reading the Bible. I want to I read the Bible and, and know that this is God speaking to me in that moment. I want to I read the Bible as if like my youngest daughter, who's getting ready to turn five, I want to read the Bible as if like what it looks like when she eats ice cream. Like she's eating ice cream and she's like, mmm. And she like, like she's got to tell people, right? And she's mm, she, she, her big thing, yummy in my tummy. Like, mm, yummy in my tummy. You know, and so like, but she's just, and she's in it. Like she is in it. Like that's how I want to be in the Bible. I want to be in it. It's like, oh man, like I've got to, I got to read. The, oh man, I need, I need to apply this to my life. This, oh, I got to tell this to my, to my friend. I've got to dive into this. What does this mean? What is this term? Maybe I need to ask somebody. Maybe I need to dive into a little bit more. Maybe I need to really get into it. Like, oh, it's so good. And I just want to just take it in. You see, God reveals himself and his will to us through his word. If you're like, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know where, what God's doing. Well, how's your quiet time? Like, I don't feel like God's speaking to me. Well, here, here, this is it. He's, he's speaking to you right here. Are you spending time in it? 
Are you diving into it? Are you allowing it to change your life? You see, how we respond to God's word shows what we truly think of God. And we need to know God intimately in our heart. We also need to know him intuitively in our mind. I think there's so many people in this world that are gonna miss heaven by 12 inches. They may have a lot of knowledge about God, but they don't have a connection and a knowledge and knowing who he is in their heart. See, we need to have both. We need to know about him, but we also need to know, know him personally. So how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? Well, we can turn each truth that we learn, uh, that we could see and hear of God into a matter of meditation and prayer before God, leading to, to our prayer and to our praise. And I think it's important for us to know that we can't know a lot about God and godliness without much knowledge of him. We need to have knowledge of him so that we can know him. They're connected. They work together. So what does it mean to know God? This is going to be our application part for the next few minutes. We've kind of hit these five big truths, these big theological things that, again, we, we could do like a whole year of sermons on all five, just those five things. But let's apply these things real quickly uh, for us personally right here today. Number one, knowing God is the result of God's grace. Knowing God is the result of his grace. To know him is because he has uh, re revealed himself to you. We get to experience his blessing, his riches because of Jesus. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we can do or earn, but we know him because of who he is and because he loves us. You see, Christianity is a relationship in which the purpose is always with God. And God extends his grace onto us because he loves us. He loves you. You. Yeah, you, with your, your crazy thoughts and ideas and sinful minds and passions and desires and selfishness and baggage, and he loves you. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what you do and what you're thinking about doing. It, it, he loves you, and he's revealing himself to you. Now, if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, again, this is another uh, obviously very famous passage of Scripture. But it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. Not by anything you've done, but you've been saved by God's grace through your faith. And then this isn't your own doing. He says this isn't anything you've done, but it's the gift of God. You didn't do something to, to get this or to earn this. It was a gift that was given to you freely. And it's not a result of your works so that you wouldn't boast, so that you wouldn't have pride about it but that's so God gets the glory because he is the one doing the work. Now, God is so completely above us and we have so completely forfeited all claim on his favor by our sins, but his grace allows us to, right? Like we can, uh, you know, his, his favor is, is, is given to us. It is provided to us because his grace is sufficient to do it for us. And by God's grace, we are here. We're alive, we're mostly healthy, we're loved, we're saved if we have a relationship with Christ because of God, not because of you or me. Which leads me to number two, knowing God is a personal matter. It's a personal matter. Knowing God is not about anybody else in this room. It's not about me up here preaching the message. Knowing God is a personal thing for you. But you have to know him. You have to have a connection, a relationship with him. If I were to ask you today, are you a Christian, and your response includes anything about the good works or the good deeds that you've done, if, it, if your response includes anything about like, oh, my parents or anything like that, then it's wrong. Your only response is about you and your surrendering of your heart, soul, mind, and body to Jesus. That's what me and Christian is. It's a personal thing. It's not because your parents, uh, you know, gave you this. It's not like, oh, I went to church all my whole life with my parents. That's great. That doesn't make you a Christian. 
You know, like I, these kinds of things that we, we, got, we get so caught up in and it's like, it's, a, it's about you and a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about you and a, a, some corporate or some family relationship with Jesus. All direct com- connection with, with other people is, is personal and so is this one. So is this one. You see, it's this authentic faith is a, is a personal faith. It's a personal relationship. That's what authentic faith is. And knowing God is more than knowing about him. We don't just know, we know a lot of things about a lot of people, right? But to simply know a lot of things about a lot of people doesn't mean that we know the person. I know my wife. I know her, right? Like, I, like I know her. I, I, I know things about her, but I don't just, it's, we're not married just because I know things about her. We're married because I know her. Like, we've been married 16 years. We've got, you know, uh, we've gone through highs and lows and happies and joy. Like, we have a relationship. Like, we've known each other. We've been through a lot of things together. And so, like, we've, we've had experiences and we've had this connection. We've had this relationship. And we can know this, that when we know God, that there is an intimacy. There's an intimacy uh, that happens between us and God that's a connection. It's a, a mingling of our heart and our soul with God. You see, to, to know each other, you, you know, it, it's an intimate, personal thing. We see in the Old Testament all the time where Old Testament, you know, like so-and-so knew her, you know, and like, we're like, whoa, knew her. Okay, what, you know, there's an intimacy that comes with that. There's a direct connection of, of our heart strings connecting and intertwining together when it comes to you and Jesus. Is your heart mingled with God's? It only gets to mingle with God's because of who Jesus is in your life. You know, Revelation 3.20 it says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. See, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna stand at the door. I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna knock. I'm gonna say, hey, hey, I'm here. I'm presenting myself. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you, anyone, hears my voice and opens the door, allows me into your life, uh, that I is right here going to come in and I'm going to eat with him and he is going to eat with me. When you think about the people that you know, you know people, you talk to people, but if you invite somebody over to your house for a meal, it takes that relationship to a whole new level, doesn't it? Whole new level. Because you've allowed them into your home. You've allowed them to sit at your table. You're beginning to share, you know, uh, pasts and history and, uh, you know, what's going on and, and, and maybe even uh, deeper things like, you know, struggles and desires and, and you get to meet and talk and those things. That's the kind of relationship that, that God is saying that you need to allow me into your life to have a personal relationship, to not just have this, uh, you know, surface area thing of like, I know that you're the God of all things and I know that Jesus saved me uh, from my sin and into heaven and like, that's cool, we're good. Like, I know that, I'm good. No, he wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants to be invited into your home, invited into your heart so that he can connect with you on a deeper level, so that he can begin to change you and begin to work in you. And a lot of this comes through our prayer time, our worship time. Personal discipleship is a huge thing that we need to take more, uh, put more stock in, have more importance in our life. How much time are you spending with the Lord? How much time do you open the Bible and like you read into it and you dive into it and you get into it? Like if you got a Bible given to you like 10 years ago and you open it like the pages are still stuck together, it's time to open it up, right? It's time to get into it. It's time to really dive in there and see what God wants to reveal to you. And personal discipleship is so important, but also corporate discipleship is necessary. This is part of that. 
right? Like, you know, you're hearing a message and, and, and doing that, but also uh, it's, it's more important, I think, even like in a small group setting, maybe it's a group of three or four, maybe it's like our life groups this fall that, uh, you know, a group of 10 to, to 20 and you're sitting there and you meet each week, you're diving into God's word, you're talking of things of God, you're asking questions, you're keeping each other accountable, you're, you're, you're pushing one another on in the faith. That is so important. And so what we do on a Sunday morning is very important. But those times during the week when you are alone with God, or you're alone with maybe just a couple other people and you're diving into God's word are extremely important to your faith and your connection with God. Which leads me to number three. Knowing God requires personal development. Knowing God requires personal development. You see, discipleship, which is this idea of really following along the teachings of Christ, obeying the teachings of Christ, uh, imitating Jesus, and it's done in our mind, or excuse me, our mind, in our heart, in our will, in our feeling. And it wouldn't be a fully a full relationship with him personally otherwise if it wasn't. There needs to be that connection. You know, and I think about it in this way. So uh, studying the Bible, I think it's kind of like eating steak. And here's what I mean by that. So for me, I'm, I'm giving you guys this message in 30-ish minutes, right? I spent at least two days just diving into God's Word. Spending time in prayer, spending time reading scripture, spending time, you know, looking at some commentaries to dive more into this. And I, and I do that two days, and then I prep the message, and then I spend the next couple of days thinking about it, praying about it, and sometimes going making edits. And, like, I make edits even, like, sitting here on the front row. I got little red marks. I'm like, oh, this, you know, that God's just, like, revealing these things to me in the moment. And I'm eating steak. I love filet. Pastor Chris loves ribeye, whatever. But, like, you know, like, I, I love steak, and like you think about the best steak that you've ever had and like that's when you open up the Bible on your own and you're reading it and you're diving into it and God's just speaking to you and you're jotting down notes and he's confronting you on some things in your life. You are eating some really, really good steak. And then I come on, third, uh, on Sunday morning and in 30 minutes, you know what I've given you? I'm not giving you steak. I'm giving you steak that I've already eaten, that I've already chewed up, and I'm giving you just a little bit of the scraps. And I say that to tell you this, yeah, it's still steak it's not as good. The depth in your own heart, in your own time comes when you're own studying, you're, excuse me, when you are studying God's word on your own and investing in it and you're working through it and you're wrestling with scripture. That's when you get the best. So 1 John 3, 6 says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So when it says this, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one that's connected, no one that has, you know, attached or woven their heart with God's heart, no one who has done this keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, we are sinners. We have a sinful, uh, you know, identity and DNA in our humanity and who we are. But when you have a connection with God, you try not to sin. And when you do sin, it crushes you. It hurts because you know you haven't just done something wrong, but you know you've done something wrong against God. And so if we love Christ, why do we continuously reject him and his teachings with our lives, with our actions, and with our choices? And if we have truly seen and encountered the living God and his amazing love, we would not want to, why, excuse me, <laughs> and his amazing love, we would not want to deny him with our lives. Think about that. If we've truly encountered him, we, we wouldn't want to do anything else but to glorify him, to, to, to make, you know, bring glory to him, to make uh, our life be more about who he is if we truly have this connection. If you look at 1 John 2, 6, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you have abided in him, then you should look like him when you walk. Not just physically, but when you talk, when you make decisions and choices and actions and relate and connect with people in the way that you lead your job, in the way that you, uh, you know, invest in those that are your employees, or maybe the way that you treat your employer. There are different things in our life that we need to look more and more like Jesus. Because if we love Christ and we model our lives after him, we need to look like him in how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, how we treat this life. So when people look at you, do they see Jesus? Do they see him? Jesus, let them see you in me, should be our prayer. I worked with middle schoolers for a long time uh, as a youth pastor, and let me tell you, if you go to a camp with some middle schoolers, especially middle school boys, uh, but middle schoolers in general, after three days, you know which room is the middle school room, even if they're not in there. It looks trashed, it smells horrendous, like you know it, because they've left an impact. Now, that's a negative impact, but they've left an impact. When it comes to my life and my relationship with Christ, when I go into a room or when I go into a circle of people and I leave, I want there to be an impact that's been made, an impact that's been left. So that when I walk out of the room or I leave the place, people would say, what was, what's different? What, what, was, what was changed? What was different? I want people to see Jesus in me. I don't want it to be that it's me getting the glory, but I want it to be about who Jesus is, that they would know that there's something different about me than when the way that I live my life. And I want the same thing for each one of you. We are little missionaries spread all throughout this, this community to be able to take a little bit of Jesus into our workplace, into our schools, into our family, onto our streets, our ball teams, that when you walk away, that people are like, something's still here. What is it? It's an essence that you've left that is Jesus is Lord. Now, in John 8, 31 to 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if you abide in my word, meaning you stay connected to my word and who I am, you are truly my disciples. We need to continue believing what Jesus said, and we need to walk in obedience to him. The calling of a Christ follower is to be a disciple, one who knows of and walks in the path of Christ laid before us. That's what being a disciple really is, is to know of and walk in the path that he's already laid out ahead of us. He's given us an amazing display and example to be able to follow. So we need to follow in his footsteps, and we should be able to do so because we know him intimately. My question for you today is, do you know him intimately? Do you know him personally? Because here in this last statement, kind of a sermon in a sentence, eternal life is only possible when you know God personally. Personally. Because I know God doesn't do you any good. Because your parents know God doesn't do you any good. Your spouse knows God doesn't do you any good. Your parents doesn't do you any good. You need to know God personally because you will be the one that encounters God when you leave this earth to give a statement and make a claim about who you are in Christ. Knowing God is knowing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father, you know, all loving, all knowing, all, all, all present, this heavenly Father that created you and loves you but also the Holy Spirit who's indwelling inside of you, reliably shaping you through conviction and motivation and encouragement, but also knowing Jesus, that you are to be saved by him here and hereafter from sin and guilt and from an eternal death, from the gates of hell into the gates of heaven. He wants a relationship with you. His desire is that you would desire him like he desires you. Do you desire him? Do you have, a, do you have the desire for this intimate personal relationship with him? You may know a lot about him, but do you know him? 
Because we can rejoice when we realize and understand that God wants to know each and every one of us personally. And that's my hope for you today, is that you would know that God loves you and he wants to know you personally, intimately, and deeply. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Uh, Father, for just the uh, quick overview that we were able to do on some of these uh, theological uh, statements and terms. But Father, these are things that so many of us need to hear and to dive into more so that we can have a greater depth of our faith, of our witness, to be able to be prepared when somebody would ask us a question about our faith and who God is and who your son Jesus is. And Father, my hope is that we would take these theological truths that we looked at, and each one of us, we would dive into them more, but also, God, that we would apply them to our life, that we would see how they affect us in the things that we do in each and every day. And Father, my hope is that for those that are here this morning, Lord, that don't have a relationship with your son, Jesus, I pray that they would know that it does not matter where they come from, where they're at, where they've been, but Father, that it is, comes down to them encountering you in a very real and supernatural way. God, my hope is that they would surrender their life to you this morning. Father, that they would confess that you are Lord and Savior, that they would repent of their sin, and God, they would begin to live this faith journey. Father, it is so amazing, and Lord, it's so amazing that it doesn't even end here on this earth, but God, it continues throughout eternity with you. Father, it's that simple, that we would admit, believe, and confess. Any one of us can turn our life over to you. Father, that is my hope this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.